Now, you said blanching paths. Are we talking cooking or are we talking golden girls? Oh, man. <laughs> Thank you for being a friend. Let's get some blanching <laughs> paths here. <laughs> Shoot the core, cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast of the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that wants to take you on an adventure of the intergalactic planetary variety. I'm Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups, and with me as always, I have... Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru. Excellent. If you'd like to connect with us, uh, follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can also follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. Check out our Linktree page, linktr.ee slash ShootTheCoreCast, for all of our feeds, as well as a link to our merch page. Join up with RFGeneration.com, which is free to do, and join us for a Shmup Club playthrough. Uh, you can also check out our Discord there. Uh, RF Generation Discord that is linked from the front page of uh, RFGeneration.com. And uh, we've got our own topic there. Also, follow me on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash gurugameboy to get notifications of streams as I do stream the Shmup Club Game of the Month frequently. And RF Generation is a great place to go. I especially like the database and it helps you answer answer a whole bunch of pertinent questions like how many licks to the center of a Tootsie Pop or you know, how many copies of Shaq Fu do I actually own? You know, it's a lot of stuff that you may or may not want to know. <laughs> yeah, uh, part of me thinks that life isn't truly complete unless you own five copies of Shaq Fu. I'm getting there. Five copies on the Game Boy and you could actually buy yourself a PS5 these days. <laughs> well, I'll have to settle for one, probably. A PS5 or a copy of Shaq Fu? Uh, a copy of Shaq Fu. Oh, that is settling. Indeed. So, uh, I threw out a question of the month, uh, kind of in, in relation to the game that we're covering this month, and kind of where this game uh, is coming from from a legacy standpoint. Uh, and so the question that I threw out on Twitter is, what proto shmup or single-screen shooting game do you think could be successfully expanded into a full-scrolling sequel with unique levels and why? We didn't always get the why, but <laughs> at Lord underscore Wampus threw down the gauntlet right away with a large photo of the uh, demon attack box for the Intellivision. So obviously, Lord Wampus wants a uh, another take on demon attack. Yeah, the first take was a little too close to the game Phoenix. That someone said they <laughs> right. were <laughs> close to legal action. But you know, I, I would like it just to be if it was going to be redone. And I, I think it should. I think this is a great idea. 
but I, I would like to see something similar to what they did on the, on the covers. For those of you who haven't seen it, please go out and Google the image. But it's basically took uh, plastic models and s- strapped them together with super glue, and then um, tried their best to make them look menacing in silver. It's really of of their time <laughs> and interesting. You know, I, if you give me Godzilla riding a rocket on there that you're shooting down. What the heck? I'll go for it. Yeah, the the cover to Demon Attack is as gloriously low budget as you can get. Uh, so uh, we talk about it a little bit more on our uh, Demon Attack Spider Fighter episode of the podcast. Shameless self promotion. So go check that out. All right, our next one comes to us from at Chris Johovitz. Satan's Hollow. Oh, another good one. Level and enemy art design are one of my favorite things about shmups. And Satan's Hollow has a good foundation of demons and hellscapes. You use a creative modern overhaul. Yeah, I, I, Satan's Hollow strikes me. I don't know if the, that game would be something that we want to go for, like a December or something. Like that, but that's a really good suggestion. I may have to steal that. Yeah, I, I do think that game could be expanded into something more. Uh, at Studio Mudprints says Cosmo Gang the video. Imagine a modern take with full-resolution animated sprites and scenes a la Otometius X. Yeah, that that has potential. That could be interesting. Yeah, as long as it doesn't have a touch bar, I'm okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need a touch bar on my arcade stick, no. But, yeah, I I think that uh, Cosmo Gain is a very uh, Parodia-style take on Space Invaders, and it's very well done. I think it came out on the Super Famicom, so those of you who haven't have missed or ways to play in Super Famicom games, give it a try. It's a lot of fun. Our next response comes to us from at Atari VB Prod, also known as Into the Vertical Blank Podcast. Maybe Bandits on the A8 in Apple II or Spider Fighter on the 2600. Basically, bandits on the VCS or possibly Chopper Command on the VCS if there's another way to make it a really cool scrolling millipede. And I, I was thinking millipede or centipede would be good for the response for this, but I, I sort of think that the two, early 2000s sort of ruined most of that stuff where they were taking all the Atari games and sort of throwing them in just to see what stuck. It's like, here's Pawn, it's back. Sorry, I'm making it sound like Pogs or something. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Pond is back in Pog form. No, it's just... Uh, we, we, they threw everything to this and they made it up in 3D graphics and then tried to sell it as nostalgia. Of course, this is going around at the same time that all of the you know, people were collecting. This is high times for Atari collecting when they were doing all this stuff. In Centipede and... Millipede would be interesting to see. Is they're still revered and they're one of the only titles that I could think of, or one of the only SDGs that you have more women than men playing. So it's interesting in that aspect. But out of all these suggestions, I would probably have to go with Spider Fighter. I'm just, I don't know, I just have a soft spot ever since we played that game, and I think that would look very good as, like, uh, maybe a, a phone game 
or something like that, or maybe like a, a short indie like you saw with the, the Bit Trip Runner collection. Something oh, like sure. that would be fun to see. It's certainly better than whatever Atari's doing now. Well, and one thing, I guess it's not a full scrolling shmup, so it doesn't really count per se, but there is a new Centipede uh, arcade game, actually, called Centipede Chaos, and it is three-player, and uh, it is actually at some round one locations, and I played it a couple of weeks ago, and it's fun. You know, it's still single screen, but it, your the landscape and the colors and stuff change uh, as you go from level to level, and there are power-ups. You can move around the screen, uh, so it's it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I do think. People? Sorry, was that done by the same people who did the uh, gigantic space invaders? Uh, I don't, don't know. know. Okay. All right, You're, uh, I'm not sure who did it. Um, I just uh, I just took a picture of it while I was there because it was a really cool, really cool machine. No, it sounds like fun. Next next time, uh, you know, I find myself out there, or maybe they got one in Galloping Ghost or something. And there, we can give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, at Pixel Licker says, Puyon was such a fun concept. I wonder if it could have been expanded with power-ups and more overall chaos. It would lose some of its sharpshooting gameplay, but could evolve into a larger arena where you ascend up a large cliff or tree so the game progresses to new areas. This is an interesting idea, because I, I never even thought about Puyon as a shooting game in the traditional sense. It is, I guess, in uh, when you look at a fixed-screen shooting game, it does fit that mold, even though it kind of steps outside the usual boundaries of space shooter or those kinds of things prior to the advent of Xevious and Scramble and some of those things that then started to give us what we know today as the, the shmup as we kind of define it in the modern era. But yeah, Puyon is an interesting idea. Yeah, I like Puyon, but one thing I realized as I, well, I should say it wasn't very well known in the West. And the more that I got into the Famicom and trying out different stuff and arcades, the more I realized how popular it was in the East. And it's grown on me over the years. It's not something that I would have as much as if I were to grow up upon it, but it certainly could make an interesting SDG. I like the idea. And our last comment comes from at Carinia uh, Gyrus, specifically based off the NES version. Yeah, and I'm all over this because I love the NES Gyrus game. It's one of those where I played it a bunch as a kid because a buddy of mine who lived like two and a half blocks down the street from me, had it. And I used to go over to his house and we would play it all the time. And I I could see something interesting done with Gyrus, whether it's expanding on the core gameplay and making that more, making your ship more mobile and, and that more dynamic and interesting, or taking like, uh, something like the philo Philosoma idea and giving you multiple perspectives to play with. Some that are traditional STG and some that are more like the original Gyrus where you're kind of shooting into the screen 
in this sort of tube fashion. I, I think there's a lot of possibilities there. Yeah, uh, there seems like there's a lot that could be and upon this. I, I have to say I'm very thankful that people were serious about the suggestions and no one said Polybius. Oh, <laughs> right. There we go. So, uh, now that we've gone through the suggestions based from polling, polling the audience what, or, pol or polling Twitter, what do you suggest or what, what's your suggestion? The first thing that came to mind when I thought about this question after I came up with it is Gorf. Because if you think about it, Gorf already has some variety in its approach. It has four distinct screens that, um, you know, give you different things to do. So I could see expanding that out even further and taking those concepts and extrapolating from them in order to make something that is a much more traditional scrolling shoot-em-up. Uh, I really like Gorf, so, you know, I've got a soft spot for it, but I think, I do think it could make a, for an interesting kind of traditional scrolling shoot-em-up. I certainly wouldn't, um, wouldn't make any kind of bullet hell sort of thing, but I think making something that's in the spirit of a 1942 Zevious, um, you know, that kind of a thing with the concept of, or, or with the ideas that are already brought to the table with Gorf, I think has possibility. What about you? What, as far as me, I originally was looking at Demon Tech, I thought about stuff such as Spider Fighter, but my mind sort of settled upon Sinstar. Particularly in this age where everything seems to be audience-driven, I thought uh, we modernized Sinistar with, for basically modernized Sinistar for Twitch. And mm. I, the more uh, you know, Twitch plays Sinistar's just I, the idea seemed to grab me. But the more I thought about this, the more it seemed like I was doing a pitch meeting for EA, EA, because I was thinking that. You know, you're waiting for a certain time, and Sinistar gets built there, and then he chases you around. Sort of like Evil Auto, or, or that thing that really would frighten you in these games. You know, that eye hunger that you... <laughs> right. Spawn, I thought it could be used as some form of rank based upon how many viewers you had. Let's say for every 10 or 20 viewers, he gets built, you know, on a 1.5 scale, but for every... If you have over 50 viewers, then he gets built at a 2x scale. There's a lot of mm. different ways you could do that. And I was thinking, well, what if we had bits in there? And if we put bits in there, that's going to open up monetization. And uh, that's where the EA stuff comes. I was just thinking, well, we won't call it loot boxes. We'll call them prize pinatas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let, let, let's put this, put this in here. The more bits you spend, the more you can affect the gameplay. But... Oh, so there's a bunch of stuff that you could do really just growing out of the fact of Twitch Plays Pokemon that would make each game unique. As I as spoken on the last episode where the randomization, a little bit of randomization can go a long way towards longevity for the gameplay loop. And so you need some sort of simple gameplay loop, and I think Sinstar has it, but it also has the ability to really with like evil auto or with 
Sinistar himself to really freak out the player and give that sense of danger much on there. So it could, simple gameplay that could be affected by different variables based upon there. It seemed like a neat idea that, that could be done. In fact, you probably wouldn't even need to change it too much from the way the game is now or really overhaul that much. I, I I just think like adding in that little twist would give it enough to go through and bring it back. It I'm wondering what what other ones in there. I was, I, it got me thinking of like Gradius too, where anybody who uh, you know donate bits to get your uh, power ups or <laughs> that'd be a little scary, wouldn't it? There uh, might be a little bit of Double Dragon, right? You want that Double Dragon three? Do you remember that the arcade version? You want your oh, power up? Yes. You got to put it in quarters. This will cost you two quarters for that power up. So I don't know, but there, it's just still something about that idea that sticks with me. It's not you don't want to go full monetization, but at the same time you want to have integration. I think that the cheer cheer system that they integrated into Rating Five was probably a little too early for all the stuff they're looking to do. But I think there's something to that idea. If we turn it on its head and add it into more of a multiplayer-centric thing, where it can be used for rank or modification, then it makes the game a lot more interesting and draws the audience into the actual gameplay itself. So you're not just a static audience interacting and going, Yeah, I like what you're doing. Here's some money. You're not just putting tip money in a tip jar. Yeah, that, that's an interesting idea. It definitely has possibility. Yeah, I guess we should also copyright uh, Prize Pinata. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So moving on, for the month of August, we played Galaga '88 on various platforms, and the people who played along with us are Normatron, Reticulon, Mini Console Man, Shaggy, Full Macho, Red McKnight, Corkman. Christap76, Gollum, Ed from Studio Muppets, and Bullet Heaven, and DJ Cycle M1, who is a Twitch streamer who uh, has this awesome cat named Mr. Chunk. I, uh, I, 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 please don't tell him, but I think I just tune in every week for the cat. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people. Uh would be would be sorely disappointed if uh, if Egon wasn't there. All right. Well, thank you uh, for the really good response that we got from so many people playing along with us. So getting into uh, Galaga 88, I was a little surprised as I was putting together info for our outline that I don't... Th I, I think this is the first Namco title that we've covered, which kind of surprised me. Uh, so, actually, there's some interesting things about Namco. Um, they started out in 1955 as Nakamura Sei Sakusho, uh, and they began as an operator of coin-operated amusement rides, according to uh, the Wikipedia article. And then um, th they had some kind of partnership with Walt Disney Productions that caused them in 1959 to reorganize and expand. Uh, they updated their name to Nakamura Sisakusho Company Limited, 
And then they bought the Japanese branch of Atari in 1974, which was apparently uh, flagging and, um, you know, ha- having a hard time. Uh, and so then they entered the video game business. And then they renamed in 1977 to just Namco. And they released GB, their first arcade game. Uh, and then, of course, their first big hit was uh, Galaxian in 1979, which, of course, was a response, one of many, uh, over the course of the first few years since the uh, you know since the start of the arcade boom that were kind of a response to Space Invaders. And uh, Galaxian, of course, was an early hit in the shooting game genre and gave birth to uh, several sequels, including Galaga, Gapless, and, uh, of course, the game for this episode, Galaga 88, among others. Uh, Namco was also among the, com- the companies that created the First games that we think of, as I said earlier, in the modern era as shmups, with Xevious in 1982. Uh, some other notable or iconic games that uh, and series that Namco has done over the years uh, would include, of course, Pac-Man, which was huge, Pole Position, Tekken, uh, the Ridge Racer series, and uh, of course the Ace Combat series. Uh, Galaga 88 is... Or, yeah, Mr. Driller. That's, I don't know how iconic it is, but that's good stuff. Well, I just bring that up because I'll throw that a little <laughs> bit of trivia in later. Oh, sure. Uh, Galaga 88 is the fourth game in the Galaxian and Galaga series. Uh, it takes a, a little bit more of a cute-em-up approach as opposed to the earlier games, with bosses and enemy sprites generally looking more cartoonish than in the previous games. Uh, it was also the first game in the series with auto-scrolling levels and backgrounds, uh, though your movement is still restricted to left and right. Galaga 88 arcade units were distributed in North America by Atari. No surprise there, given the relationship that they had. And uh, even though the game is called Galaga 88, the game actually released in 1987. Uh, but in 1988, uh, a conversion of the game came out for the PC Engine, um, and then that came out a year later in North America and was updated as Gal- uh, Galaga 90. And then uh, there was a Game Gear version that followed called Galaga 91, which is kind of a kind of a remix of the game, mixing in both Galaga 88 elements and also some stuff from the original Galaga. Yeah, and that one I'm sure was really hard to play because you had to decide which would uh, which would be shorter, your playtime or your batteries. Yeah, right. Uh, and Galaga 88 has been in some of the Namco Museum releases over the years. You know, it was in the PS2... Namco, uh, Namco Museum 50th Anniversary uh, that was also in the Xbox 360 Namco Museum Virtual Arcade and most recently the Nintendo Switch uh, Namco Museum version. Uh, uh, the physical is the Namco Museum Arcade Pack. Uh, PAC for Pac-Man, of course. So, yeah. Uh, 
some interesting stuff there. Yeah, it's interesting to see that it when they revamped it, how they gave it more of a cartoonish or anime-slash-manga approach to the characters, something that the West just sort of wasn't ready for. I mean, it sold poorly in the U.S. Hmm. So it's interesting to see how... But in Japan, it, it sold like hotcakes. So it, it's interesting to see that, that we're not quite there yet. And then people say that it, it, the NES sort of harbored in the manga style with its <clears throat> less realistic and more cartoony or, or Eastern looking, Eastern, you know, anim, animation or, uh, or, or comic book slash manga looking characters. And the West just sort of wasn't quite ready for that. Of course, uh, 87, this is definitely post-crash, and the arcades are sort of hanging out. I don't think that the Hanes, the arcades really get revitalized up until Street Fighter 2 from this point. I can't think of anything around this time that people are really going to the arcades for. I mean, we, you have... Contra and stuff, but Contra didn't set the arcades on fire. The NES version did that. Can you think right. of anything off the top of your head? Double Dragon, maybe? I mean, Double Dragon was was one of the few things from kind of that late 80s era that I know was, uh, was at least pretty popular, and you kind of saw it everywhere. You know, it was, yeah. it was ubiquitous enough that I think that might have been one of the things that sort of helped to keep things going. Yeah, Double Dragon until... is June of 87, so that, that could have been right at the start here. Plus, around that time, people were very burnt out. At least in the U.S., they were burnt out on space shooters. I mean, everybody was doing a space shooter back in their early 80s. Heck, it felt like 25% of the Atari 2600 library was that space shooters, but... It, it, yeah, it would just stand to reason that these types of games feel very played out and people were looking for something new, something challenging that you know, Street Fighter 2 would again set the world on fire, or Double Dragon with the Rise of the Belt Scrollers. Yeah. The other interesting thing to think about is Galaxian came out in 1979, and this came out in 1987. It was eight years but think about how simplistic Galaxian is, both in terms of gameplay and in terms of, uh, of the graphics and the overall look. Even though it was very colorful and somewhat advanced for its time, given that we're coming off Space Invaders and you know single-color black-and-white type displays um, with color overlays at the most to try and, you know, spice things up. But even for its time, Galaga 88 was fairly simplistic as compared to contemporary uh, shoot-em-ups such as Twin Cobra or, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And yet, it's such a leap uh, from the original Galaxian and you can see that the technology to make these games and the presentation and all of that has come so far 
that uh, it's it's pretty amazing to think about the difference that eight years made from from that first game to now or to you know eighty seven when this came out. Yeah, eighty seven. You had uh, Gradius the year before. In '87, I have to look it up, but I believe that was the year that the first R-Type came out. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's quite remarkable. It's also um, a year after. No, it was three years after 1942. That was '84, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. Either way, I mean, it's. I guess any anything compared to 1942 seems like a big improvement. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's, it's, 1942 is very basic. It, it's like the start of an idea. I, mean, I don't think you'll find anybody who says that. Well, I should say, say you probably hard-pressed to find somebody who likes 42 over 43 or one of his sequels. Yeah, I'm sure there's the odd person here or there that does. But generally speaking, you know, I think 43 is more widely considered the better game. Yeah, regardless, it, it seems like most people would realize this, or not realize, most people in the arcades would be sick of the genre and see it as something that it is more of a relic of past. And when you see the word Galaga in it, you know... Yes, it has name recognition, but most people are like, oh, this plays exactly like the other game I had and may not go any farther. True. It's that old uh, Wii to Wii U <laughs> problem years before. That's actually a uh, an astute observation, in a sense, because, yeah, even though you, like you said, you have the name recognition there, couple that with people are tired of space shooters and... Without further innovation, uh, it is possible that it was just simply overlooked because of the name, and people thought, well, I've already played Galica, I don't need to play it again. Or, hey, that was fun, I'll put it in a quarter, and like, yeah, this, that was neat, and be done with it. You know, the, the NES Mini approach. <laughs> right. I remember this, yeah, I'll play it for five minutes and be done with it. Yeah, it, it's you get your nostalgia fix. It, it, it's it's one of the things that rewards players for who, who will go through it, but it, you have to give it a chance first. And it, crowded arcades were this was last year's flavor, or even a couple years ago flavor. It's hard to make a case for it, at least in the arcades. And looking at all the Turbo Graphics stuff on there too, with the uh, the flashy stuff. I, I'm just thinking about how much more of a. I mean, Bonk didn't come out until what ninety, so you would have like, is it? Are we dealing with Keith Courage? <laughs> are we there? Right. We, that that makes a pretty strong impression. I'm sure, that uses a lot more. That's definitely anime or manga influence. But you have very large sprites, which are very. Come to think of it, it's probably not too far off from the size of a Splatterhouse. And Splatterhouse is, what, 90 or 89? Not too far off from here? Yeah, so, I don't remember specifically. Either way, it, uh, 88. So, it's... 
interesting to see that something with, with big sprites and it's going to make a big splash and show up on here is something that would more draw the players in, even on the console side. You know, look at all this and look at the Genesis. You know, you talk about the rise of the teenager along those years and something more edgy. I a little bit surprised that the Genesis didn't have this, but I, because they, they were in in bed with Namco and the way that they were doing stuff, not so much as the Hudson was. But Namco, of course, wanted to, or Namcot, in this case, Namco Home Entertainment, wanted to stick it with to Nintendo for reneging on their, or making harsher terms for their license agreement that they had a sweet deal with the original Famicom. And it, it seems a little surprising that this would, you know, that this wouldn't show more. I guess it just shows the, the, the sign of the times and the way that players had sort of on in here. I'm certain that that it, if Mel Jesus were around this time, we'd have, you know, his public action show, Hidden Gems and Why You Should Play Them or something like that would feature this game. Well, the other thing to consider, though, is since this game did so poorly, um, you know, the, the Mega Drive did not do well in Japan, but the PC Engine exploded. So it makes sense that Namco would want to go with a proven winner that was not Nintendo because of that deal that you mentioned. So if the game, if Galaga 88 performed well in Japan, then it would make sense to put the game on the leading console of the time that, uh, you know, was going to give them the best, uh, the best exposure for it. Yeah. At least in Japanese, that makes sense. I was just thinking about the U S market on there and uh, I don't know, two different markets, at least for quite a while. Sure. Well, and I got to believe that early in the life of the turbo graphics for those who were early adopters, since there weren't, probably a ton of games out during the launch window, Galaga 90 probably did at least reasonably well um, for the small install base of the Turbo Graphics in North America. Yeah, like the... Maybe if it... If it maybe if it had done a little bit better than here, we would be talking about Galaga 88 having to be sold with every Turbo Graphics instead of Keith Courage. Now that would have been a cool pack-in. Yeah. Oh man, Johnny Turbo presents Gallagate ninety. Ah, oh, there you go. All right, so we've given a lot of talk on the context and how the markets differ. Let's talk about the gameplay itself. Galaga eighty eight uses the same basic template as the original Galaga, with some new features. You can choose to start as a double ship rather than merely waiting for to be captured by a boss Galaga and freeing that ship or start with a one ship. Yeah, the nice thing about this is it takes the sort of pro tactic that start with original Galaga that is letting your ship be captured so you end up with double firepower and just makes an option. It's like, hey, do you want to start with one or two? And the players who are new to the game will most likely want to start off with one. But firepower is where it's at in this game. So starting off with two, letting one of your ships be captured, and then joining them into three is really how you want to start out that game. This is not 
you know, Star Starship X on here. You, you, it's okay to skip leg day in this game. It's okay to bring out the JoJo. It's okay to bring out the swag too, though. It's okay to bring out the big guns because you need that firepower to make it through. In regards to the double ship capture, if a single ship is captured, it will turn red until the enemy is destroyed and the ship returns to you. If a double ship is captured, it will appear blue. Be careful if you, you can accidentally shoot your captured blue ship. You'll damage it to turn red so you'll only return a single one. If you shoot a red captured ship, it will be destroyed and you'll take down that extra life. And last thing about the triple ship is it cannot be captured by an enemy tractor beam. If the triple ship takes a hit, it becomes a double ship again. And if one of the ships in double get a hit, you go back to being a single ship. There are multiple opportunities to obtain various colored capsules with the game that serve different purposes. Blue capsules are warp capsules. You collect two of them to warp to the next bonus round to a higher dimension where enemies are harder but scoring potential is higher. These can be obtained by shooting down large enemies that have fused together from two smaller Goai enemies or in stages with rocks and barriers by shooting one of these to release a capsule. After collecting two of them there are still opportunities to generate additional blue capsules prior to a warp. These are only worth extra points. And as far as I can remember the warps are the only spots where it goes from a single screen into a uh, into a, a multi-screen scrolling. Yeah, I think you might be right. Uh, I, I thought maybe there was one in every uh, dimension beyond the first one, but yeah, I think it might. They might only appear after the warp. The other capsule is the pink in the arcade, or red for the PC Engine capsules. That are awarded from final enemy from the final enemies in a couple spots, either stage 15 of Dimension 4 or stage 25 in any dimension, which will instantly upgrade your craft to a triple ship without sacrificing any of your livestock. Uh, one group of stages you'll enter is a bonus display, or sorry, bonus stage, which displays this is galactic dancing. On screen, followed by groups of enemies coming on screen in formation and moving around in a sort of dance accompanied by music. After a bonus stage is where you either fly to the next area or warp to a higher dimension if you have collected two warp castles prior to that time. In each group of stages past the first, there will be an auto-scrolling level that will have multiple stops for tra traditional Galaga style squadron of enemies and at the end of each stage will be a boss battle. Each boss will just deploy smaller enemies throughout the fight as well as firing on you itself. In stage 10 you'll face a giant purple galaxy that serves as a mini boss. It takes 15 shots to make it retreat. I have to say that I like the way that it set up the uh, excuse me, not blanching pass, the branching pass with it with this game and made it into a little bit more of a different paths adding to the gameplay loop, but also adding a little bit more of a driest element to it. Now you said blanching paths. Are we talking cooking or are we talking golden girls? Oh man. <laughs> Thank you for being a friend. Let's get the blanching <laughs> path here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Alright, so 
There are four bosses in the game in Dimensions 2 through 5. These all take a fair number of shots to take down. And there are different endings depending upon whether you end the game in Dimension 2, 3, 4, or 5. The real ending is achieved if you warp all the way to Dimension 5 and take out the final boss. And here it gets a little interesting. The... Uh, it's the arcade version pulls a little bit more of a uh, Baraduke type entrance. You know, the Met when Metroid came out, it really surprised people because it was one of the first high-profile female protagonists in a video game where in Japan it was just considered par for the course. We had a city connection where it was changed from a girl to a guy driving that car in in the west. And here it, it's been it changed from a lady pilot or woman pilot into something more militaristic in the PC Engine or US release in it, It's interesting to see this as well and the, one of the things I mentioned earlier with was Mr. Driller and the way that Namco in, intertwines their heroes is according to official lore, and I still don't know why I know this, but uh, Baraduke, the shooter Baraduke, the lead character was a female who ended up marrying the uh, protagonist of Dig Dug, and together they had two sons, and one of them was Mr. Driller. I mean, the lore oh. goes deep with Namco. So it's it's interesting to see, again, that this protagonist is female. I mean, it's... The ending is a little bit more like, hey, you sexy player, <laughs> which is interesting way to take it, but it, you know, it's um, not quite as far out of left field as you get with some of the Technosoft, you know, the Thunder Force, that ending to Thunder Force 3, oh boy, does that go places, but <laughs> it's just interesting. So, let's start off with the uh, endings here. The ending of the arcade says, this is from a safely returned space fighter pilot. You have fought with me all the way, so your mission is over all right. What are you going to do about do now? How about coming to my place this night? I want to be with you as a man and woman. So so basically, confirmed, Galaga 88 is essentially an intergalactic booty call. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> Remember, we're supposed to get this family friendly here. <laughs> Where, yeah, with, with, it, with the... PC Engine version, it's congratulations. No Galaga Corp remains. Peace is here to stay. You deserve the gold medal. A new legend of the galaxy. The endless universe from the farthest end. Something might be seeking for a chance to evade us. We will never give up, never surrender. But now the warrior needs to rest. The end. Yeah, it, it's very much a, you know, very militaristic uh Congratulations, you shut down all the guys, and they may come back, but uh, you deserve a rest. Very interesting dynamic uh, on the way that's going here. So, it's... <laughs> what are your thoughts on the uh, 
uh, on the, this, the intergalactic uh, planetary booty call. It's interesting, you know, that in what is essentially a fixed, a fixed screen or mostly fixed screen queued them up that they included this sort of um, more adult, shall we say, ending to the game. But they probably figured that uh, most eight-year-olds and, and you know, 12-year-olds probably weren't going to see the end of the game anyway, at least not in the arcade. But maybe they, maybe they assumed that on the home versions, given enough time, they might, they might do that, so they toned it down a little bit. But yeah, it's it's kind of an odd choice, to be honest. When you said queued him up, all I could think of it is at the very end, instead of Opa Opa realizing that his father's been, you know, Darth Vader all along, and says no, is just ends up as like, thank you everybody. Why don't we come over here? We can be together as Opa Opa and a man. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It just really... It comes out of left field, but it's certainly an interesting take, and it's very Namco for them to just do their own thing. I mean, think about... The other thing that was Namco, again, wasn't afraid to take chances. They have uh, Tower of Draga, right? And then the... um, There was a sequel to that where it was both the princess and the knight... I know the princess's name is Key, but I forget the um, guy's name in Draga. Then, then there was the Quest of Key, which came out exclusively on the Famicom. And that was the princess trying to save the guy. So it's very interesting to see the way that Namco treated its properties and, and its characters and the care for lore more so than any other company. Yeah, it is kind of nice to, to sort of see a company that cares about its properties enough to, to develop them in that way. Uh, A lot of companies, you can't really say that or as they go from one iteration of a thing to another, you know, there's not as much, there's not as much care put into it, I guess. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Now I, didn't I mainly played the PC Engine version? I didn't play much of the arcade version, and I definitely didn't play the Sharp X68000 or the Game Gear version. Did you happen to try any of these? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't play the Sharp X, X68000 version. Although my understanding is it sticks pretty close to the arcade, but it adds some new arranged bonus stages, which have characters from other Namco properties and some enemies from previous Galaga and Galaxian games as well. The Game Gear version is kind of an interesting remix because it's the way that I read about it was that it was basically Galaga 88, but intermixed with original Galaga layouts and levels and things. Uh, and of course, it's Galaga 91. I played a little bit of it earlier just to kind of get a feel for it. Unfortunately, the the Mr. Core for the Master System and Game Gear doesn't display correctly, or at least it didn't display this game correctly. It overscanned, and it was in widescreen. So it was very 
difficult to sort of play properly. Enemy movement and patterns are different. There are far fewer enemies. Uh, it looks good, certainly for you know the Game Gear hardware and so forth. But I don't know. It just is kind of weird. You know, the third stage in the game is already the scrolling level with a boss at the end. Um, and it's kind of hard to play because the enemy movement is different enough and bullets come down pretty fast and it's kind of hard to get away from them. So, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting idea and I think it's a, it's a solid attempt, but I don't, I, I think if that was your only option back in the, the early 90s to play the game, then that probably would have been fine. But anymore, I don't know that I would think anyone would want to play Galaga 91 over Galaga 88 PC Engine or Galaga 90 Turbo Graphics or the arcade version for that matter. Yeah, it seemed like from your play experience that something that would be better left uh, as a curiosity than an, an actual playthrough attempt. And to be honest, it, it, most of the people who are going to play this are going to be playing the PC Engine version or uh, on some sort of compilation. Very likely, yes. There were uh, a few differences between the arcade and PC Engine versions that uh, I thought I, you know, we should take note of. Um, for whatever reason, the PC Engine version only has four dimensions instead of five. Uh, so in the arcade version, it forces you to warp to dimension uh, two after stage ten, but that's not present in the PC Engine version. The other thing I noticed when I was playing is once you've got your two warp capsules collected, uh, the subsequent capsules will kind of be a lighter shade of blue. I don't know if they did that on purpose so that you kind of denote uh, that it's only for score, <clears throat> but that was something curious that I noticed. Also, uh, one of the cool things is that, as we mentioned before, there's a, a difficult mode on the PC Engine version. So at the title screen, if you hold up on the D-pad and then press Run, when you go to the initial screen that allows you to select between starting with one ship or two, uh, the capsule that appears above those to sort of show which one you're selecting turns red instead of blue. Uh, and then there'll be an enemy that you can shoot down that'll then drop a red capsule and instantly turn you into the triple ship, which is uh, really cool. But of course, the difficult mode, enemies are more aggressive. They start shooting at you um, as they're coming on screen right from stage one. Uh, so it definitely is a little bit harder. Uh, and there are also uh, fewer enemy types in the PC Engine version, so it's not quite as uh, not quite as varied as what what's in the original arcade version. Um, let's talk about the graphics. Uh, I really like the graphics. Uh, obviously, the previous games in the series are colorful, but because of the plain black background with Starfield or, you know, little bits of, of blinking star effects and things here and there. Even in Gapless, I think it was pretty basic. 
But here, you've got a combination of starfields with with kind of a scrolling effect, making it look like the stars are moving or you're moving in space. Um, you've got interesting uh, backgrounds in the scrolling stages, and then later in the game as you go along, you've got cool stuff going on, like there's a, a group of levels with a space station in the background, and you've got some cool nebula stuff going on. There's uh, one of the later dimensions, some of the later levels, some nice nods to uh, Bosconian, um, which is another Namco game uh, with uh, the sort of Bosconian base in the background um, that's kind of like partially destroyed. Uh, and then on one of the levels, you've got the large uh, space mines or what have you that are there that you can destroy. Uh, that are in place of things like the asteroids or the space rocks. And so that's kind of a, a neat nod there. But there's there's a lot of detail in enemy sprites, and uh, some of the enemies have kind of a comical appearance. Like I said, this is more of a cute em up in some ways. Uh, and there's some really cool uh, graphical effects and animations, too. There are enemies that, when you shoot them, they'll sort of explode into a firework kind of display um there are enemy there's one enemy type and i i don't have the list in front of me but there's one enemy type where when you shoot it it will sort of plump up as if it's filling with air and it'll get really big and then it'll kind of pop when you shoot it the last time and it makes a sound and and uh there are these blue crystal objects that will sort of shatter into into dust when you shoot them and that's a cool effect or uh, enemies that look like these sort of space turtle things that when you shoot one, it splits off into several tiny little little turtles or what have you. Um, I don't know if that's babies or if it just, you know, is a way to sort of give you more points or what have you, but just a lot of little effects like that that I, I think are really neat. And overall, I just think the graphics are, are really nice. What's your take? My take is I love the color on this. I love the expressions. I think that the NES with its limited color palette, you know, even with the Master System, I, don't, I just don't think you could pull this off. I think that you had to use the PC Engine in order to do this. It, either that or the uh, Mega Drive or Genesis. You needed something that more than what the, the Master System or the NES could give you and when doing at least a home conversion. And I, I think that they did a great job doing this. It's a standout. It doesn't require too much in the horsepower arena, so you could really add in those special effects and make it feel like you're in space. It, everything about this game, it had a lot a lot of love into it, but a lot everything about this game makes me scream the words, Hidden Gem. From the, uh, you know, I hate to say this anymore because we may summon Metal Jesus, but it's just, it, it, it really, really is something that most people haven't played and they really should experience. I, I don't want to spoil the ending either, but I, I think that things are easy to see. The shots are, there's a lot of thought. And it, it really... The only game I can think of that really just sort of shows off the hardware like this and does the 
same type is um, Cosmo Gain. And there, I, I think that's the closest thing to this, and I would highly recommend people take Studio Mudprint's suggestion and give that a try. In fact, maybe we can push that for sometime next year, because I, I definitely want to play more of that game. But as far as graphics are concerned here, everything animates nicely, it's colorful, I don't have any problems about where shots came from, it, it, it scrolls at, at the speed it's supposed to, so no matter what way you're going, you're still... To, that. It, it's, it's very effective at communicating visually to the player what is going on, and does a good job of not being too serious about this. With the expression, they say, with the balloons popping and even those little smaller enemies showing up on screen through there, the, the way that their animated is, they do their galactic dance. It's just all very well done, and you can tell a lot of thought and love was put into it. Yeah, I think the the word for me that sums it up is charming. Yeah, uh... I, I would definitely say charming on here. So it, it it's not quite at cute 'em up levels, but it, it's definitely you know, like it doesn't. It's not like uh, full on taste the rainbow effect that you get with uh, Fantasy Zone. But <laughs> it, it, it's it's enough in there that it, it it's bright and colorful. I mean, to be fair, even. Um, Bar Baraduke was that way too, with, with bright and colorful, and you saw that with most of the Namco stuff on there. I mean, it was meant to catch the eye, like, oh, what is this? It, it's a sign of maybe the, the raster stuff sort of coming into its own. The shooter, because the previous shooters, a lot of the ones that did well were. Um, the, not raster, but uh, color uh, color vectrix monitors. So oh, it, vector it, games, yeah, yeah, vector vector based games. So it was very, I don't know, that style was chose because of that, or maybe it was at colorful because Galaxian itself, the original, was pretty colorful. I think that Galaga took a little bit step back more towards a little bit more realism. So maybe this is a little bit of a combination of both sides. It, it doesn't go to... Basically, it falls nicely within the spectrum as far as visual goes. It doesn't go full-on cut-em-up, taste the rainbow, but it doesn't go fully realistic either. Sure, it finds it's a nice balanced. middle ground. Speaking of middle ground, let's talk about the sounds. Now, some of the sound effects are updated versions of the Galaga originals, like the ship capture jingle, the tractor beam sound, the shot noise and some enemy deaths and dive bomb noises, etc. Some new sounds which fit in all fit into the atmosphere of the game. I like the that the intro music is an updated version of the original Galaga intro theme. Uh, the bonus stage music is a different series of set pieces, each one for a different type of dance to fit within the galactic dancing theme. We have the galactic dancing waltz, the galactic dancing tango, Galactic Dancing Salsa, the Galactic Dancing Big Band Jazz, the Galactic Dancing March, 
Yeah, I'm sure if it was made today, we'd have the galactic dancing dubstep. No, no, you'd have galactic dancing with the stars. Oh, no. There it is. More dad jokes per capita. <laughs> oh, boy. On that, you should have just done the mic drop and walked off. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. I mean, generally speaking, on here, the sound effects were recognizable. Well, they added enough to make it its own thing. It's not something that I'm not going to be listening to the Galactic Dancing Salsa on my iPad or iPod. It's not something that we listen to outside the game. But it's definitely serviceable for what it is and does the job well. Nothing was a mosquito singing to my ears either. Yeah, I mean, I think I've been thinking about this. And, of course, by this point, traditional shooting games with things like Gradius and Fantasy Zone and other stuff that's coming around out around this time are they're starting to have their own in individual stage themes but of course this being more of a fixed shooter and only using music to kind of sprinkle in here and there for effect I, I think it works I was a little disappointed initially that there wasn't music playing in the regular stages, but the more I think about it, the more I realize that it, the music provides a nice accent rather than being um, a focal point. So I think it works for the game and, and for what it is. Now let's talk scoring. So generally speaking, Enemies who are attacking you, uh, they're dive-bombing you, or they've moved down into position, will be worth more points than when they're in formation toward the top of the screen. For example, the, the boss Galaga enemies that do the tractor beam, they're worth more points while they're firing the tractor beam, or in position to do so, or, uh, sorry, let's say if they fire the tractor beam and then they're at the end of that cycle and the tractor beam's going back up. If you can manage to get underneath of them and take them out do, while they're uh, while the tractor beam is kind of going away, you'll get more points than you will if they're just sitting at the top of the screen. Um, one of the large Goe enemies is worth t more than two of the smaller ones, so it's advantageous to let them join and do that. Uh, enemies, when they come on screen in formation and sort of twirl around and stuff, you'll get additional bonus points if you destroy the entire squad before they take formation with the, the rest of the enemies at the top. Uh, and then there are also enemy types that'll split off into other enemies. Uh, so I can't remember what enemy type it is, but there's one that will come down from the top screen formation, come down a little bit, and then split off into these four sort of butterfly-looking things. And if you can manage to take out all four of those, not only will you get points for destroying each one, but you'll get an additional bonus for taking out the whole squad. Some enemy types will uh, enter the screen in formation and then either leave the screen toward the top or they'll dive bomb you and go away. <clears throat> so those a lot of times will need to be prioritized uh, to make sure that you're scoring. So for example, in the first stage, uh, or the, I think it's, yeah, the first stage, you've got this larger enemy 
that will be at the head of a group of enemies coming in formation. It'll take three or four shots to destroy, uh, but for each one of those that you take out, I think it's 600 points. And um, so those are definitely ones that you want to prioritize. There are the uh, previously mentioned destructible non-enemy things like asteroids, crystals. There are these green nebula blobs and other things that uh, you'll get points for destroying those. Uh, but the bulk of your score is going to come from destroying the bosses in each dimension. So the Dimension do, the dimension 2 boss is worth 100,000 points. Dimension 3, 200,000 points. Dimension 4, 300,000 points. And Dimension 5, 400,000 points. So one of the ways that you can quickly uh, rack up a very high score is to make sure that you get those capsules and then warp uh, to the different dimensions so that then when you get to the end of the scrolling stage and get to fight the boss, you get those those big scores. Um, and then also the capsules that you, the warp capsules and everything, those are all worth 500 points apiece. So those are kind of the high-level tips on scoring. There are probably some other <clears throat> other things that you can do to try and, and make scoring more robust, but uh, those are all things that I kind of observed as the month went on. So what's your takeaway uh, in terms of, you know, playing this game through the, through the month? I think that the game hasn't does enough that it separates it and is something that can be enjoyed. I don't think that the longevity is there. Meaning that it would be a game that I could probably play for between you know five and thirty minutes, and I would have a good time and enjoy it. But I don't see myself ever going back for an extended playthrough. It's one of those things where I don't see myself, you know, going just one more time like I do with a cave game or even some of the uh, Psycho games. It's neat and it's fun to spend a little bit of time on it but it's not something that I would ever consider becoming the world's best in yeah I'm kind of in a similar boat except I'm going to come at it from a different vantage point the original Galaga is a favorite it's one of those games that whenever I go to an arcade if I have the time and I have the money I'm going to throw a credit at it or a couple of credits at it and I'm going to play a couple rounds and I'm going to have fun whether I'm playing for two minutes or 20 minutes um, and usually it's closer to two because I'm just not that great at it but I always enjoy playing it it's one of those games that I have very fond memories of uh, playing as a kid and I, I, I just always enjoy it when I play it it's not super often, but I play it often enough that I always have a good time and it's something that I can go back to and always get that sense of enjoyment out of. So it's in a way it's like it's like a gaming equivalent of an old buddy that you're not super good friends with now, 
but whenever you talk to them, you kind of have that, that bit of nostalgia and you always have a good time or, you know, you always enjoy that conversation or what have you, but it's not something where you feel like you have to engage at a, at a high level, at least not for me. And so after going through and playing Galaga 88 this month, I kind of feel the same way. I don't see myself going back to this game as a serious endeavor of trying to grind my way through it, learn the enemy patterns and, and waves enough to get to where I can clear the game. I don't know. I'm not going to say I'll never do it, but I don't see myself going back to do it, even though it there's a more definitive ending to this game than there is, let's say, in the original uh, Galaga or Galaxian. With these kinds of games, it's more a situation of when I'm in the mood for this experience, I just want to sit down and play this for five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, whatever it is, and just and just have fun with it. Kind of turn off my brain a little bit and just kind of go and and be in the moment with it and enjoy it for what it is. There are games that I want to learn and play seriously and get good at. And then there's this, where I don't really feel a draw to do that. But that doesn't mean it's not good or that I don't like it or that I don't want to play it, because I do. And in fact, in some ways, that will give the game more legs for me because I'm not looking to play it super seriously. It's something that I can continually come back to, like the original Galaga, because it's something that I can approach much more casually, and so I can come back to it and always have a smile on my face and always enjoy myself for the short amount of time that I'm playing it. I don't see myself ever going for a real high score, particularly compared to some of the score submissions that we had this month. But it is something that I know I will go back to and I will enjoy. And for me, I think that's enough. Yeah, I'm right there with you on there. With Galaga, I could get, you know, what your ICU is describing as a quick fix of fun. I mean, th that's what I see that... I could have this on my phone, I think, and play it and enjoy it. I think it's one of those type of games, and a lot of the earlier arcade games are, where you can play it for five minutes, you can play it for 20 minutes, and you still enjoy the time that you have with it, but you're not going to sit there trying to belt out the the best score that anyone ever has. You're not going to go after the leaderboards on it. You're still going to definitely enjoy your time with it, but it's not something that you're going to take super seriously. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, it, it's the same way that I would deal with Donkey Kong, right? I, I always plug in Donkey Kong and play for a couple levels and call it good. I'm not going to sit there and try and challenge Billy Mitchell. So, <laughs> right. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's the way that these games are. The... The, it's very nature of having zero barrier to entry. I mean, you don't have to start up the 
Xbox or PS4 or 5 or whatever have you, wait for it to start up, then start up the game and make sure that the updates are done. It, it's just very simple gameplay in very simple loops, but it's still a lot of fun. Well said. All right, so next we have impressions from the RF Generation community. Our first one comes to us from at Normatron. I will try and take some time to participate. The game also means a lot to me growing up. Gallag is a game that my dad was a literal pro at. I will not be as good as him, but I will do it for him. Alright, that's a good thing to take take a chance and play some Gallag, even though you may not be the best at that is definitely um, I'll just say hats off to you for try and play on here that is the whole crux of the shmup club yeah to try out new sh new shmups to boldly go where no sdg has gone before all right i'll stop <laughs> yeah and one cool thing is normatron was still playing on his uh as far as i know his childhood copy of galaga 90 and he was actually playing uh using a retro freak uh so that was kind of neat to see Right now I got that uh, retro freak. It's retro freaky. No. <laughs> uh, Gollum uh, joined in and said, I'm up for Galaga 88. Uh, I gave this an hour last night. Uh, this is the perfect game to come after Project Starship X. Where PSX is sugar rush sensory overload, Galaga 88 is paired back and stayed. It's very soothing. Uh, or it's pretty soothing. And then later on in the in the thread, Gollum says, Got the clear on Route 1. Took me six hours of practice. Really enjoying it so far. There are a few key strategies for clearing Route 1 on Galaga 88 on PCE. I am curious if these will bear out on the higher routes or on the arcade version. For single screen stages, start toward the center, offset that you are aligned with the inside curve of the left enemy wave. If there are enemy waves on the left and right, dodge toward the left edge of the screen. Do not cross the middle. If there are enemy waves on just one side, dodge to the side without enemies. Dodge slowly so that you take very slight uh, kite bullets and dive-bombing enemies in your wake. As you dodge, leave enough room to dodge a last-second dive-bombing enemy. You'll want to have a tile or so of free space against the closest edge of the screen. If an enemy dive bombs, dodge away from it, not towards it. If an enemy wave has started entering the screen, do not try to fly under it in order to shoot out the enemies. You should stay safe by staying on the opposite side of the screen. Moving under an enemy wave that is already on its way in is just asking to get point blanked. <laughs> yeah. As you start a stage, the first meteor you destroy will have a capsule. This sucks. <laughs> Make sure to kill it the instant you enter the stage. You don't want the capsule hanging around for you to accidentally pick up at an inopportune moment. I dodged the first capsule by crossing the middle. This seemed to work well enough for me, even if there were two enemy waves entering simultaneously. You have a few guarantees that power this strategy. Enemies will only loop once as they enter the stage. If enemies come from one side of the screen, they will not start coming from both sides of the screen again. If the enemies come from the right side of the screen, the next wave will come from the left. If enemies come from the le left side of the screen, the next wave will come from the right. 
And once enemies swap from two waves at once to one wave at once, the first wave will come from the left. Oh, astute observation. Again, this only applies to Route 1 on the PCE version. I don't know what happens on higher routes or in different versions. I was playing on the Turbo Mini, so replaying stage 1 through 15 was really helpful. Uh, that was the first stage that moved, or uh, 1.15 I should say, that moved too quickly for me to react on site. I basically figured out everything above by setting a save state at 1.15 and grinding stages 1.15 through 1.17 over and over. Uh, later in the thread, he says, uh, Gollum says, Fro, you asked on Twitter about randomness in shooters recently. Putting Galaga 88 right after Project Starship X works well to highlight how both games are random in different ways. In Project Starship X, the level blocks you encounter are random. However, with enough experience and maybe rote memorization, you can predict everything that happens within a level block. The knowledge challenge here is to recognize what block you're in as soon as possible so that you can then queue up the according tactics. Once you know what block you're in, there are no surprises. In Galaga 88, each level layout is fixed. However, enemy attacks appear randomized. There are three things that seem to be random. When an enemy shoots during the entrance wave, when an enemy dive bombs out of the entrance wave, and when an enemy descends from the swarm at the top of the screen. If I'm wrong about this, please call me out. But if I'm not wrong, then this means you must adapt in the moment as each individual enemy wave advances. You can memorize stage layouts, but the activity within each stage will be different each playthrough. Uh, and Gollum has a lot more detail in the in the thread on Arv Generation, so I would encourage you to go read it, because there's a lot more um, good information Gollum shared that would be that would be really helpful reading for anyone who wants to dig further into this game. The other thing I'll say is Gollum went above and beyond <laughs> this month and did four complete runs of Galaga 88 on PC Engine. A full Dimension 1 run, a Warp to Dimension 2 run, and then staying in Dimension 2, a, f a full Warp to Dimension 3, and then stay in Dimension 3 run, and then Warp all the way up to Dimension 4, and beat the game in Dimension 4. And I believe those are up all up on uh, Gollum's YouTube channel. So, hats off for just really digging in and uh, getting the most out of this game during the course of the month. Wow, congrats to you. Man, that's impressive. I'll have to take a look. All right, our next comment comes to us from Reticulon. I'm in as a first-timer to the forum. Well, glad to have you with us. I've been listening to the podcast for a few months and decided to join the group. I'm playing the PC Engine version of the on the Mini, as well as the arcade port that's part of the Namco Museum collection on Switch. Later post. Am I the only one struggling a bit with the Gradius Syndrome on this one? I lose my ship and I can't regain it very soon after. Feels like my whole run falls apart. I don't know how many times I restarted because through some dumb mistake I didn't get it on the first stage. And yeah, this game is all about firepower and maintaining it. And I, I can understand there's a little 
bit of an issue there that with the arcade one you can always just insert a quarter in this it's a lot more difficult but that's what this game was made to do eat quarters until you master it I mean there's no way around this game it, it doesn't have the M2 treatment of giving you a quick restart or save points or anything like that it's it's difficult and it knows it Galaga 88 takes no prisoners uh, but I will say yes the the domino effect that kind of happens oh you know the gradius syndrome is is real in this game because it is difficult to recover particularly if you if you have a double ship and you're trying to go for the triple ship and then you get shot or you have the triple ship and then you get shot and go down to the double ship it can be easy to get flustered and then have it all fall apart or like what happened to me several times while I was streaming is I would start with the double ship I would get captured I would then have my last ship and I, as I was attempting to get my ship back I would die or I would shoot my ship so that my double turned into uh, a single and then I went just back to the double ship again or it would snowball and all of that would happen. So anyway, uh, yeah, I think that's probably a common thing as you're playing the game um, early on that you kind of have that problem or you just have a bad run and just kind of go into that, that cycle. Uh, Mini Console Man said, I'm in. First Shmup Club game for me on my PCE Mini as well. And then later in the a thread, uh, toward the end there says, Not my most active month, as I was still hooked on completing PSX for the majority of this month. And although a classic game, it's one I probably won't return to often. Only managed a measly score of 111,670 on the PCE Mini. As always, it was fun to play along for a little bit, and I look forward to hearing about other players' experiences with the game. Thanks for joining along. Our next comment comes to us from Aunt Shaggy. I may partake in this one as Galaga90 is on the TurboGrafx-16. Later post, I'm enjoying this game. I like how the turtles explode into fireworks and how enemies can merge to become stronger. Red said he couldn't pause the game, and I'm playing on Turbo Duo, and the manual says press run to pause. But that didn't work for me, but pressing select did, so give that a try. For those without a manual, the blue capsules that look like gems will warp you to a higher dimension up to warp 4, collect 2 capsules, and at the end of the next round you will warp. This is the key to higher scores, as you will get more points and different enemies in higher warps. Shooting the blue rocks give out the blue capsules along with shooting the bodyguards, whatever enemies those are. This also happens to be a way to fight bosses at the end of the first warp. There was a boss I ended up getting to stage 6 out of 29 so far. Well, congratulations, I hope you stick with it and give it a try. There's certainly a lot of... a lot more things to see, see in this version. Uh, even even if the PC Engine version is, is a, a bit more militaristic and you miss out on the intergalactic booty call. <laughs> uh, Fomacho joined in and said, when you already have the game, you have to join. 
I love Galaga, and I love Galaga 88 too. I have the Namco Museum Arcade Pack on Switch and played 88 a bit two summers ago. Coming in, my high score is 159,000. I hope to really get into a groove and post something big. For me, it's about surviving to about 140,000 points with lives intact. Then the real run begins. Our next comment comes to us from Corkman. I'll be playing this month as well, either on the TurboGrafx-16 Mini or the Namco Pack on Switch. I like single-screen shmups mainly because I'm old, but I've never really played this one much other than trying it out. I'm more familiar with the OG Galaga, Galaxian, Gal Plus, and all those versions of Space Invaders, Cosmo Gain, the video, among others. So it's way past due I really play this one. Later on, I find that the runs are pretty short at my beginner skill level, so it's not too big of a deal to lose a ship or lose the big ship. It seems to me that the PC Engine version is easier than the Switch version. I would have thought that the taller aspect ratio of the Switch arcade version would have helped me give me a bit more time to dodge, but the PC Engine version seems to have more room left or right to dodge. Plus, the enemies are coming in hot on the arcade version compared to the PC Engine version. Later on, well, I didn't make great progress on the second half of the month. I was consistently average, but no higher in scores. I did enjoy playing a single screen shmup this month. I don't think I put as much time into this since I was playing the kid playing Space Invaders on the Atari 2600. This is my first time playing Galaga 8, and I'll definitely play it again in occasion. It was interesting to learn the little mechanics and tricks in this game, like the big triple-shot ship, the no-hit bonus round, and getting the dimensional warps from Game Boy Gurus and Bullet Heaven streams. Thanks for streaming. Well, thank you for playing. Oh, that was yeah. That was one of the other things that I forgot to mention during the scoring is during the galactic dancing bonus rounds. There's a secret bonus where, where if you don't move or shoot any any shots during that, you get an automatic ten thousand point bonus. Now, obviously, that's less points than you get by successfully shooting down all the enemies because you get a ten thousand point bonus for doing that anyway. But then you get all the extra points from taking down the enemies. But you're guaranteed bonus points if you just sit there and do nothing. Our last last contribution here comes from Chris Tap 76 who says, Hi, count me in on this one. We'll be playing on the PC Engine Mini console. Hopefully should have more time this month to play than I did with Project Starship. Well, I certainly hope that you had fun with the game, and we thank everybody who contributed uh, to... Um, all the thoughts and, and good discussion that we had on the forum and uh, everyone who participated. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of people really got into this for the scorn challenge or whether to try it out for the first time. And it, again, it, it's something that I think more people will definitely enjoy. It's something that most people haven't. And it, it's something that even if you play for five minutes, you can see the appeal of and get some enjoyment out of yeah, and I was a little surprised to see so many people playing the PC Engine Turbo Graphics versions as opposed to the arcade version, uh, which was kind of neat to see in a way. So looking at the high scores, I broke them out uh, based on the arcade version and the PC Engine and Turbo Graphics versions. 
uh, because they're different enough. So in the arcade version, Ed from Bullet Heaven took the high sp- high score spot, the top spot with 563,040 points. Uh, Fo Macho came in second with 445,140 points, and then Corkman uh, came in at 136,350. Uh, and then on the PC Engine version, Gollum with uh, with a d- that Dimension Four run there at the end scored an impressive one million one hundred twenty nine thousand two hundred eighty points. Uh, and again, Ed from Bullet Heaven came in with 845,020 points. And Red McKnight, uh, who threw down the gauntlet early, ended up in third place with 248,350 points. So well done, everyone. Impressive scores. Yeah, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't think I came anywhere near that in either version. <laughs> uh all right. So, final thoughts. Final thoughts. I would say that if you haven't played this game, definitely give it a play. Whether you do it on Meme or whether you try it on the arcade compilations, or you even have a Turbo Graphics or Turbo Graphics Mini that you can try it on, it's definitely you owe it to yourself to give it a try. It deviates from the Galaga formula enough that to make it its own thing but stays true to the roots of what it is to give you a similar type of experience. You know, it, it's it does enough to establish its own identity, but keeps the fun elements in, which is pretty rare to do. So definitely worth giving it a shot, e- even if you have to play the Game Gear version. It's still worth playing. Yeah, I mean, I would I would echo a similar thought in that it does enough to be different enough from Galaga that it's worth a look for that reason alone, but it retains enough of that simple, fun gameplay loop from the, you know, the earlier games that it, it doesn't, um, it doesn't forsake its roots or try so hard to establish its own identity that, it's unrecognizable. So uh, it really is a, a fun game. And if you never saw it in the arcade as a, as a kid, because it didn't do well here in the West, then I would say, yeah, give it a try. If you get a chance, because it, it really is a fun game. All right. And now that we have zoom past dimension four, dimension five in Galaga 88, we are approaching September. In the month of September, we are going to be playing Assault Shell, which is a, I would call it a bullet hell. I, I mean, it, it sort of straddles the line for me, but it, it's a bullet hell that, that came out, la- I believe it was last year, was that right? Last year, yep. Yep, and you know, for for one man putting it together, I must say I'm pretty impressed so far. I'm having a lot of fun trying it out, and I look forward to hearing the thoughts of others. In October, we are going to finally be tackling Shikando Soul Eater, which it is one of those games that 
veers towards the easier side. Uh, you know, it, I don't want to quite say it's baby's first uh, Don Maku, but it, it is a, a lot easier of a clear. It's also a lot easier to find on sale and a lot cheaper. So hopefully we get some more participants in that. Yeah, and Shikando is on everything. It's on PC, it's on all the modern platforms, it's even on iOS and Android, so it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all, all we need to do now is to be on um, on the taco there, on the N-Gage, and it will be everywhere. Oh, I forgot the Gamescom. Oh, yes. We can't forget the Gamecom. Nope. Or the R-Zone. Yep. And speaking of people we can't forget, we have Ed of Studio Muttprints, Bullet Heaven, to say thanks for the logo and for the very entertaining streams. I'd like to thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music, everyone who participated in this month's playthrough, and everyone at the RF Gen Playcast and CollectorCast. And I'd like to thank Metalfro for taking time out of his day to uh, show us uh, his life with his dogs. The very interesting life. <laughs> Shmuffs and dogs. Uh, yes. There, you know, j just uh, keep, keep, keep it interesting and keep it real. It's always a pleasure to see you stream. And I am... Uh, never, never surprises me the weird stuff that your dogs will do in order to get their attention away from the screen and uh, <laughs> onto them. Yeah, uh, it's always uh, it's always a balancing act between whether the enemies are going to are going to take me down or my dogs are going to cause me to fail and take myself down. <laughs> That's what keeps it interesting. That's why I keep tuning in and, and giving you those prize pinatas there and giving you those bits. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay. Anything else that we need to uh, need to mention before we wrap up? I just want to say thank you to everybody again who listens and everybody who participates. We can't do it without you. Yeah, it, it really is gratifying to get feedback and to know that people are listening and that they care. Uh, so thank you all for uh, for listening, participating, giving us feedback, all of it. And uh, we'll see you next episode.